Greetings, friends, and welcome to this episode of the Communication Guru Podcast, where we believe it is not only what you say, but how you say it that matters most. I'm your host, Tim McMurtry, president and founder of Tim McMurtry International, a business consultancy specializing in personal development, government and public affairs, along with community and corporate relations. I'm delighted to have you join us today for this episode, and I appreciate your listenership and viewership of this show. As you know, our aim here on this platform is to discuss the nuances and insights into the communication continuum to help you to be the best communicator that you can be in your relationships, in your business, in all that you do, and your personal endeavors and your spheres of influence. We're here to help you to become a top-notch communicator in all that you do. So be sure to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast, The Communication Guru Podcast, (laughs) wherever you can find podcasts so you can be sure to be notified when new episodes are available for public consumption. Now, the foundational infrastructure of any relationship, be it formal, informal, personal, professional, or otherwise, is built on the roadway of effective communication. Effective communication becomes even more important in times of uncertainty, crisis or emergency or extenuating circumstances such as the global pandemic that we've all witnessed recently. Today, I am super excited to explore the universe of communication, particularly corporate communications, uh, even further as I'm joined by a gentleman who I consider the OG of communication whose expansive career includes stints as press secretary for former Wisconsin Governor Marty Schreiber, a vice chancellor at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, my alma mater, go Panthers, <laughs> chief of staff to former city of Milwaukee Mayor John Norquist, a founder of Wisconsin's leading communications firm, Miller Communications, and so much more. I mean, his career is just extensive, and you could write a book on all the things he's been involved with. So I'm super delighted to welcome to our show the one and only, the legendary, the often imitated but never duplicated, H. Carl Miller. Welcome to the show, man. Wow, that is a great welcome. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Hey, man, given your storied and varied background, can you share with our listeners just a bit about your background and what piqued your interest in the communications field out the gate? Absolutely. So grew up in Milwaukee, Milwaukee native, but uh, went into communications initially, Tim, as a newspaper reporter. Mm-hmm. And why did I do that? I really felt strongly that my mission in life was to help people understand their world, speak the truth. And, you know, as the watchdog over government, et cetera, work Mm -hmm. through the media to help this world get better. Mm -hmm. That was really a a driving influence. Like, how do you use communications Mm -hmm. to help government serve the people better, et cetera? Mm -hmm. Well, put the spotlight on what's happening, inform people, and believe then good things will happen. So the people will rise up and hold their government accountable. So that was the really the driving interest in being a journalist. Mm-hmm. So did that for the initial nine years of my career as a reporter, city editor, uh, editorial writer at the Milwaukee Sentinel, but then realized really we were just observers, you know, standing on the sidelines watching what's going on. And there was this 
desire to get involved and be part of, you know, what was really shaping our society, our city, our state. And that led me to then join the administration of Governor Schreiber and get involved in government. Wow. But as a communicator, press secretary, still mm-hmm. using communications, right? Mm-hmm. But in the world of journalism, going to the other side, now you're you're no longer to be trusted. You're right. part of it. You're part of the dark you're side. You're suspect. You're the dark side. Uh-huh. But that was a great learning experience. Mm-hmm. And then it was moving on from there to the university, my alma mater as well, mm-hmm. with the desire to be part of that, and educating young people and helping make the world better in a different way. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And quite by accident, was a volunteer in the first mayoral campaign of John Norquist and he was, you know, it was a crowded field, open election. The mayor, Henry Meyer, had retired. But long story short, he won and asked me to be his chief of staff. So wow. went from the university into city government. Again, chief of staff, but still in very much of a communications function. And really learning a lot more about how the city of Milwaukee works, not just city government, but mm-hmm. the interaction with all walks of life, all business, et cetera. And then from there, of course, into Miller Communications. Nice. You know, where now we're an independent agency and you get to be your own boss, quite often the worst boss in the world (laughs) because never lets you slack off or, you know, uh, work seven days a week trying to build a business. But a wonderful part of it is it succeeded and, you know, here we are today. Nice, nice. Now, communications is kind of a multifaceted type of field, unlike, let's say, a, a, a accounting or engineering or a, a doctor of a particular discipline. So for those that, you know, when they hear communication, they think, okay, I know it's an exchange of ideas and information between, you know, individuals. How would you describe the communications field as a profession and how would you juxtapose it to let's say public relations are they one and the same distinct uh what would you describe those as right good question i think a lot of people struggle with that what's the difference and i would tell you that the communications field as i would describe it is we are problem solvers in other words people come to us because they have a problem they can't solve on their own they're in need of help, and they believe we can somehow help them. So public relations is one part of this. In other words, what is their relationship with the public? Mm-hmm. How do you either manage that or change that? Mm-hmm. But much broader than that is how do we communicate with all audiences, and what is the purpose? In other words, what is the end result you're seeking with your communications plan? Mm-hmm. And today, it's a rapidly expanding field i would compare it to having a toolbox with two tools in it maybe when you started now there are 10 tools in there Mm. that help you accomplish the goal you're seeking Mm -hmm. so public relations is part of it Mm -hmm. but you look at the way technology is changing the communications world it's just unbelievable to me how rapidly it keeps changing and we're presented with new tools so when we first met had you ask me, do you want to do a podcast? I'd look at you and say, what are you talking about? What is a podcast Uh and how does that work? And how does that reach people? Mm -hmm. Today, we have a variety of 
uh, social media and other tools to use. Mm-hmm. And they all need to work together. You never use just one. It's right. always a combination of several that are developed to meet a particular plan or goal. Mm-hmm. So the world keeps changing and expanding. It can be very daunting, uh-huh. but it can be exciting. You know, it's really amazing to me how we're able to use all these different tools to accomplish what we're trying to achieve. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's I'm, I'm, I'm glad you kind of went in, in, in that direction. A full disclosure for the listeners, um, former employee, I was an account executive at Miller Communications after being or serving as the chief of staff for former city council president uh, Willie Hines and had met Carl and some of his staff, you know, throughout my time at City Hall working in city government, they're always really, really cool, really, really engaging. And it just seems like the environment for communications and public relations, et cetera, were really, really exciting. They invited me to a number of events, uh, both me and, you know, Council President Hines. And when he couldn't attend and sometimes when he could, I would tag along and I would represent the office. And it was just really, really a great time. And one of the things that we did while we were there, we had these uh, meet the media luncheons. Wherein, you know, a person from the media, be it broadcast, print or radio, would come in and share with us different things we could do to help us be better professionals in the public relations field. And we also can kind of pepper them with questions and things like that. And I remember one of the members of the media had come in and this was when blogs were just starting to come out and social media was just beginning to be an outlet from which people would receive their news and information about, you know, society. And I remember asking her, hey, do you think the blog stuff and these pseudo journalists will ever get to the point to where people might, you know, trust them more than the traditional media outlets. And I remember her response was, no, the blogging stuff, social media is just a fad. With journalism, you have to, you know, get confirmation of stories. You have to fact check and all that. And unless you are able to do that, the people, the general population, won't necessarily take what you're saying as essentially the gospel. And it seemed as if that hasn't necessarily held true People get stuff from Instagram, Facebook, you know, Twitter, what have you. And I don't know that they, once they get any piece of information, go back and do a fact check. It's just, hey, I saw on social media that blah, blah, blah happened. You being a former, you know, journalist, uh, storied career in these different areas of responsibility, governor's office, mayor's office, et cetera. What's your take on the legitimacy of information sources, particularly in the light of, let's say, a President Trump getting kicked off social media because some factions or folks they associated with him and his campaign putting out information that whoever are the tech oligarchs deemed as inappropriate. The fusion between technology, information, truth, information out to the public. What's your take on that in terms of legitimacy and sources? Yeah, good question, Tim. I'm greatly concerned about where we're going with all this social media, Mm -hmm. which too often just reinforces somebody's bias. Too often it involves hate speech, animosity, racism, and spreads it and uses facts to help support a conclusion or an argument that is sometimes not just offensive, but shocking. Mm -hmm. And you look at the rebellion in the nation's capital mm-hmm. and what was driving that and how you mentioned president Trump who called the media, the enemy of the people. Mm. In other words, the mainstream media, right. 
and used all the social media to drive a certain message, actually encourage people to go attack our nation's capital and to go hang the vice president. Mm. Incredible. Mm -hmm. Now, what would the mainstream media do? We were taught, it was driven into us to be objective, neutral, report the facts, seek the truth. So where do people go today to find the facts and the truth? And with social media, you you can listen to God knows how many different sources and get a totally different opinion on what the truth is. Right, right. All right, and mm-hmm. but fundamentally, there should be, quote, the truth, right. which is unimpeachable. You don't start interpreting it. It is or it isn't the exactly. truth. Exactly. So I really am interested in where we're going in terms of having independent sources mm-hmm. of facts and information and truth. Mm-hmm. People you believe who have integrity, who worry about getting it right every time and having that kind of credibility with you as the consumer or the listener. Mm-hmm. I don't know where that's going. Uh, I see the mainstream media decreasing in terms of importance. Mm-hmm. Uh, its revenue streams are being depleted. So we see fewer and fewer real, I'll call them real journalists out there. Mm-hmm. And where do people go? And I see young people walking down the street with their, you know, iPhones and they're constantly, right. you know, on social media, but do they read a newspaper or even watch a TV newscast or no? Yeah. Yeah. So that is concerning in a democracy at a period of social unrest, mm-hmm. right? We mm-hmm. saw both the attack on the nation's capital and last summer, at least the whole black lives matter movement. Mm-hmm. Okay, where does that take us as a society and nation? Are we getting better mm. as a result? Yeah. Or are we going to see more of this kind of polarization and angry people in the streets yeah. and no solution being offered? Mm. So the communications world is increasingly important to right. all of that, where we're going as a nation, where we're going as a community. Gotcha, gotcha. So as companies try to grapple with that, I mean, those are excellent you know, points that you make as we have these various echo chambers of I'm of whatever persuasion I'm of, I'm going to seek out media outlets that feed that ideology. Now, if I have some intestinal fortitude and I remain objective, I will go to different sources. And I think that might be the best way. Hear the other side and you will be able to decipher what is truth and what isn't. Because I'm with you on this piece of there has to be some sort of ultimate, you know, moral high ground that is not just a, well, this is my truth. Eh, My truth is the truth. The truth is the truth. Mm -hmm. And everything else is, you know, conjecture or, you know, opinion. So that is important that whoever is uh, putting out or producing content do so with the best of intentions and say, hey, look, my job is to just put out the truth. Those who consume it, you can either accept it, you know, or reject and do your thing because we're all free moral agents. But I have a responsibility to be a good citizen to society to make sure that what I am putting out is, for lack of a better word, pure in that regard. So companies that have to also deal with employees that live in society and may bring their own personal biases 
to the workplace that might affect decisions depending upon what role they play. What are some of the things that you've witnessed over the course of your career with companies in terms of communications, best practices, and maybe some mistakes that you see corporations make? And has that been uh, lessened or exacerbated with the encroachment of you know technology recently? Right. Good question. So technology, social media, increasingly important to them. But the biggest challenge for most companies today, if not all, is the ability to recruit and retain employees. So how they are seen in the community as a not just a good employer, but as a good corporate citizen has become much more important. Mm-hmm. And we, what we what I see with Generation Xers, et cetera, far more concerned about, am I working for a company that has a social responsibility that is living up to the highest standards of corporate citizenship? So you see companies, that becoming more and more important. How do we present ourselves as a good place to work Mm -hmm. where you as an employee can feel proud that my company is is highly respected in the community? So what does that mean? So companies are focusing more and more on how do we not just message that, but how do we live that role in our community? So I see some hope going forward that communications as part of this will help the whole society think more about our basic values and what kind of community are we together Yeah, yeah. And as a founder of Wisconsin's leading communications firm, as companies do this, how would you best encourage companies to do the evaluation and analysis of whether their in-house staff has the chops to coordinate all of this? Versus when it might be time to bring in, let's say, a Miller Communications or the right. Temple Merchant International to come on in and help them to navigate these waters. When is it best to just roll in-house versus right. bringing in an adjacent uh, entity to help push right. that particular agenda for the organization? Right. So that question really cuts to the heart of what communications is all about. Mm. So people tend to think of it as, we're sending messages out using these different kinds of media. We're trying to influence what people are thinking about us or about an issue. Mm-hmm. We're sending messages out. Communications is a two-way street. Mm-hmm. So it's not just sending the message out, but are you re- receiving information mm-hmm. in return? And if you're not, are you seeking it out? More importantly, before you even started with your communications, did you take the time to try to really understand your audience? So you're speaking to them in a way that's meaningful to them. So doing that kind of communications research, audience research, increasingly important. And then having these feedback loops that allow you to stay in tune with how our message is being received. Is it ringing true? Do people believe us? Do they see us as credible? Do they see us as valued source of information and or whatever products and services we provide? So you see some companies do excellent jobs at this, and I'm sure you've gotten the request, uh, would you stay on the phone after, you know, this interaction and tell us what you think about how we handled your call? Mm -hmm. That's great customer relations. Don't just talk to people, but ask them, did we do a good job? Could we do better? How can we uh, communicate more with you in a way that you find useful? 
they're not all doing it. The enlightened ones are really paying attention to that. So we've all been on the phone or interacted with uh, different corporations in ways that we found really troubling. You're, you're stuck on the phone talking to a computer for 15 minutes <laughs> before you can get a problem fixed. Yeah, yeah. Or they give you 10 prompts, none of which address your issue. Right, right. And you're almost begging, let me talk to a human being that will take the time to at least listen to me and try to figure this out. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. With that piece, as I'm sure companies have heard feedback of, hey, when I call your place, particularly I'm calling because I'm mm-hmm. in a situation that I need some assistance. I know you have your automated, you know, robo answer situation, but why do you think companies don't have an immediate access to another human being after the first basic question is, what can I help you with? I need help with so-and-so and so-and-so. Okay, I'm going to patch you through to a live person. Why don't more of them go that route as opposed to this whole obstacle course, this maze of different prompts to get to a, a person? Because most times people that I've talked to, very rarely do I hear, yeah, man, XYZ organization's automated system really, really helped me out, and it is the bomb. I always hear anecdotally that, hey, man, I wish I could just get to a live person. With those surveys that have been given, I'm sure that people have responded to those kinds of things. Why don't more companies appear to use this direct to a live person kind of a vibe? Because it seems like that is the most effective way to get problems solved. Is it just purely, hey, we don't have the money to do that or some other reason? Are they trying to hide something? Yes. So I think it all started off the right way where, We'll give you five prompts that you may have a simple problem that a hundred other people share and we can fix it quickly mm-hmm. using this automated system. And people are happy with that. You know, I was on the phone for 60 seconds. And I got my answer. I got my problem fixed. But now you get to the one where, no, they really, I really do need to talk to somebody. But we've already taken our customer relations department, looked at it and said, we can be far more cost effective by having an automated system so we can reduce, we had 20 people there, we can get away with 10 people. Mm-hmm. Well, to do that, we got to restrict the number of people who actually get through and finally talk to that human being. More importantly, that human being needs to be trained, really needs to know things so that they can help solve problems. Well, that's costly. That's mm-hmm. training, uh, trying to retain people who have the knowledge, have the, the background skills, So what you see them doing is reducing, using technology to reduce the size of the customer relations staff. It saves money. It's in their world, in the computerized world, more cost effective. Mm -hmm. But there's a heavy price to be paid with a lot of customers totally dissatisfied with Mm -hmm. how they were treated. Mm -hmm. Tangential to that, when a corporation internally Let's say we have a reputation, large franchise, or, you know, a local company in a particular community and a crisis comes up that attracts media attention. And let's say there was, you know, a fire somewhere or Mm -hmm. some act of, you know, malfeasance. When organizations go into crisis communication mode, are there some, I guess, ABCs and one, two, threes that they ought to do out the gate to get that 
narrative under control. You know, you always want to you know, tell the truth, but there's a way you are to distribute that information. What are some of those keys as far as communication so they can do as much damage control as possible and salvage the reputation of the organization that they oftentimes probably taking years to build? Right. So what we try to spread throughout the world is the first hour of any crisis is the most important. Mm. And it's not unlike your house is on fire. The first hour before anything happens is the most important because the fire department arrives an hour after it started. Chances are all they're going to do is put water in the basement. You know, the whole house right. is burned up. Right. So very important to be prepared and to have people who are, have been appointed to certain key tasks to contain the crisis, to identify what needs to be done to get it under control, how to communicate is critical in those first minutes. Mm. So there's a whole communications protocol that's very important. And quite frankly, there's you know, a lot of do-it-yourself kits out there to how to prepare for a crisis. But then, of course, we're called in because they don't have people in-house that are skilled with this. How often do you have a house catch fire or a crisis occur maybe once or twice in a lifetime. Mm -hmm. So quite often they'll call us in, mm -hmm. you know, right away. We always tell people call us anytime day or night. If you're in crisis, mm -hmm. don't call us the next morning. Chances are this problem's gotten way out of control and it's going to be a much bigger job to clean up this mess. Yeah. But the key message there is be prepared you can go online, you can go on our website and get all the key materials you need to be prepared for a crisis of any kind. Mm -hmm. Speaking of websites and information, how do people contact you, know, you and the organization if they want to be able to utilize your services? Right. So you can Google Miller Communications, mm -hmm. right? right. Pop up right away. There is one phone number, day or night. You say, I need a call back immediately. I guarantee you will get a call back in less than 10 minutes, even at 3 o'clock in the morning. Mm, nice, nice, nice. Now, over the course of your career, counsel thousands of companies, individuals that might have personal situations that are a crisis, a person of, you know, reputation, stature, not wanting to uh, lose their reputation. What have been some of maybe the top, you know, two or three most satisfying things that you've experienced over your career that made you say, you know what, man, that was great. You know, two or three of those. Well, I was meeting you, Tim. That was <laughs> numero uno. <laughs> 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 gotcha. Yeah, that's a great question. I would have to, I'd always go back to the ballpark, what I call Miller Park, now American Family Field, but okay. saving. Home of the Brewers, listeners, Milwaukee home of the Brewers. Brewers. Mm -hmm. Saving Major League Baseball in Milwaukee. Mm. So here we are, the smallest market by far in Major League Baseball and real need to take an aging, falling apart old county stadium, mm -hmm. which people forget was built on the cheap by Milwaukee County before we had a major league baseball team. In other words, the public built the old County stadium and then they went out to try to convince major league baseball to give them a franchise when none was available. Mm -hmm. And it was moving the Boston Braves to Milwaukee Wow! that made Milwaukee a major league city. Really? Right. 
Okay. So the Braves so, with Hank Aaron, they were the Boston Braves first before they came in? That's right. Okay, okay. Carry on with the story. Carry on. Yeah. Carry on. Hank wow. Aaron, man. You know, so anyway, that it was built on the cheap. I don't want to be overly critical, but they didn't have mm-hmm. a lot of money, and mm-hmm. it was hardly the most attractive ballpark in America. Yeah. But it was starting to fall apart. Concrete was falling. There was rusting I-beams, et cetera. And it was not the best place to go watch a, a baseball game. So anyway, getting that accomplished and all the things we had to do to, oh, my God, one battle after another and mm-hmm. finally getting it done and then getting the kind of ballpark built, you know, with one of the few ballparks in America with a roof yeah. that's movable. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And anchoring the major league team in Milwaukee. Yeah. Uh, I hope we will see a population increase and we'll once again become up into the top 10 or 20 mm-hmm. cities in America in terms of population. Yeah. But yeah, yeah it's great. No, that's 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 uh, awesome. That's awesome, you know, background as well. And I know that I remember when the stadium was being built, there was a lot of conversation around not just the initial, you know, financing, but the ongoing maintenance, you know, with sales tax or, you know, what have you going into those kinds of, let's say, sensitive conversations. How does the communications practitioner navigate that understanding that we might not have unanimity, you know, for everybody, everybody might not get everything that they want, but Hey, how will you settle for 60% of what you want? 70% 70% of what you want for the greater good of the community that this particular stadium or any other quote unquote thing that, you know, can be built in that regard. What were some of those keys right. to being able to get people to say, you know what, I might have to hold my nose, but I'll go ahead and vote to support this. Right. So that's a good question. We'll go back to, did you try to understand your audience or audiences? Did you take the time to figure that out? And then did you craft your messages based on what you knew about those audiences? So, for example, there will always be a group of people who would be, will be dead set against what you're doing. In this case, dead set against any kind of tax increase for a ballpark. Well, mm-hmm. you're not going to change their minds. Okay, well, are there any people, is there an audience, a separate group out there that will support it? Okay, baseball fans, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then those people in between who will call available, you know, they, mm-hmm. they haven't made up their minds yet. What would influence them? If they're not real baseball fans, why would they support this? So, for example, we did an economic impact analysis. What does Major League Baseball mean to Mil- the greater Milwaukee area today? How do other counties, other communities, other counties benefit from the fact they're part of a metropolitan area? that has a baseball team, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. And what is the method of paying for that ballpark likely to do to every consumer, every Mm -hmm. taxpayer? Mm -hmm. So having a sales tax of one-tenth of one percent, what is that? How much does that cost an individual living in, let's say, Racine or Waukesha County? Mm -hmm. And when you get all that information out there, people – you're looking at the persuadables plus the people you know are loyal, the, the fans. Mm-hmm. And then how that, in our world, how does that in turn help influence a governor and a legislature? Because we needed both yeah. to support it. 
Yeah, that was a a major, major undertaking and a major victory. And looking back on it in hindsight, it was a major coup for the city to be able to maintain this uh, major league baseball team, uh, to have this retractable roof, state of the art, you know, stadium. And despite us being the smallest market, we're in the top 10, I believe, in attendance, having reached over, you know, two, three million a time or two, you know, as well. So that's great. I remember anecdotally talking to someone some years ago after the stadium was built and they lived outside of Milwaukee in one of our southeastern Wisconsin, you know, counties. I can't remember exactly where it was. It was Washington County or Racine or Kenosha County. But the point that they were making, we were talking about baseball. And they were, you know, big baseball, you know, kind of fans. And they said they were so excited when the conversation was going on about building Miller Park with the roof because as they were growing up, they would have to always watch the weather forecast because if it was going to be a rainy kind of a day, it affected whether or not they were going to come to the game or not. And so their personal experiences were impacted by, you know, the the climate. Right. With that particular stadium, with that particular quote unquote solution, they were able to even enhance their personal quality of life based on the ability of a cadre of communications professionals to persuade the powers that be to go ahead and move forward with what turns out to have been the best decision given the choice of should we build or should we not build. Right. It's not just that's a great uh, uh, outlook, but the whole hospitality industry supported it because you go to Miller Miller Park, American Family Field, mm-hmm. when we're playing the St. Louis Cardinals or playing the Minnesota Twins or the Chicago Cubs, mm-hmm. I guarantee you'll be surrounded by Cubs fans, by uh, Cardinals fans, mm-hmm. by Twins fans, because they will come to Milwaukee for a weekend series, mm-hmm. three, four games, right? stay overnight, love the ballpark, mm-hmm. love the city. Mm-hmm. But they do it because they know every single game will be played and they will sit there in comfort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No question about it. Yeah, yeah. You can't do that. You go to Minnesota, you go to Minneapolis, there's no guarantee Taking they're going to play chances. those Twins games. Same thing. You go to Chicago, you go to Wrigley Field, uh-uh. Yeah. You might get rained out. You might get frozen out early mm-hmm. in the season. Now yeah. in Milwaukee, you're going to be comfortable. That's, that, that's and a the f- game will be – all games will be played. That's so that's a, a huge impact to hotels, restaurants. I would sit in my art seats behind a third, uh, third base, you know, dugout of the Cubs, mm-hmm. and all these Chicago people saying, "Hey, you know, after the game, we want to go to dinner. Where do you recommend we go to dinner? We we don't wow. know with Milwaukee, but we love it here. You know, yeah, easy to get in and out. This is great parking here, and uh-huh. we're staying overnight." you know, at this hotel, but what's near us. Yeah. They're always wanting to enjoy the city. So that's a boost for Milwaukee Mm -hmm. that wouldn't be there without that ballpark and, and that roof. That, that, that's a fact. And I can even vouch for that. They're just, every time we have the Cubs, Cardinals, uh, twins in, in town, any one of these close, you know, Midwest major league, you know, ball clubs, 
every time I go to the restaurant, you will see their jerseys and right. all, the, all the restaurants. You know, they, they are out here and they support. So that hospitality piece, the, like you mentioned, hotels, restaurants, other entertainment venues get a chance to get those dollars as well because those folks travel well and they spend well. You know, so you have this multiplier effect. That is the truth. So if you're listening in the Chicagoland area, St. Louis, Minnesota, the red carpet is out for you in Milwaukee, and we'll leave the light on for you. So to, don't be strangers. Come on through and kick it with us a bit when our teams are competing. I Just, love that. I yes, love that, <laughs> right. A few more questions for you, my friend. I'm going to let you go. All right. What, what are – what I know that, you know, as you are doing – Miller Communications, you know, you brought on, you know, some of your your, your longtime staffers that have done, you know, great uh, work with you. And you got ownership, you know, uh, mix and matching. What are some of the things that went into that process and uh, in your immediate and long term future? How do you see Carl Miller doing his thing as time goes on? Yeah, well, I keep saying to people. I'm going to be Carl Miller the rest of my life. So don't look at what I currently do for a living. You know, I'm part of this community Mm -hmm. and what it, what the transition in ownership leadership of my company has allowed me to do is become more and more involved in parts of issues, challenges in this community that I've long been interested in, but we're not a core part of the -hmm. business I'm in. Gotcha. So currently the one main thing I would mention is affordable housing and creating the opportunity for sustainable long-term ownership by people who are low middle income and for Milwaukee's challenge neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. All right. I point to neighborhoods like Harambe, Brewers Hill, uh, Sherman Park, all challenged mm-hmm. by absentee ownership mm-hmm. by a, system that I would call predatory. Mm -hmm. So if you're a family, a lower income family, and you somehow manage to get a mortgage, uh, buy a home, and then we get into an economic crisis like 2008, 9, 10, Mm -hmm. what's going on today, and you lose your home through foreclosure, chances are that home is now owned by an absentee landlord Mm -hmm. who doesn't take care of that house, but rents it out at a very high uh, rent Mm -hmm. to people who are unable to buy a home but pay handsomely for renting. Uh And worse yet, if you get evicted, now try to rent another house. So you're largely Mm -hmm. confined to substandard housing, paying high rents in a home that is part of a neighborhood that's going downhill. Mm -hmm. And we tend to blame the tenants for the problem that occurs when the city has to acquire that home for back taxes Mm -hmm. and tears it down. We blame the victims Mm -hmm. and we don't focus on the solution. So that's very much a part of what I'm working on, if you will. And I think there's a pathway there that we can follow together to help rebuild home ownership, sustain people in their home, families in their homes and rebuild neighborhoods in Milwaukee, proud neighborhoods that we're strong neighborhoods down through the years. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's my passion today. Okay. Okay. Well, that's an excellent segue to the last question that I have for you. And it might be, be that. The last question was going to be, you know, what do you want your legacy to be? So when people think about Carl Miller and the mark that he made, what would that mark be? 
Well, Tim, you're my legacy. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) I just, I would say legacy is what we leave the world with other people. Mm. They're not material things. I could point to things, I suppose, but not physical things, but what we leave to other people. Um, So in terms of a company, I look at a culture that has a group of communications professionals who are caring, who see themselves as serving others and do it with a high level of integrity, with credibility. Mm-hmm. And I th- I'm proud to say I believe that has is happening today. I'm very proud of the way the new leadership of the company is carrying on, the people there. Um, and I would say a lot of people like you who are former employees, I think, mm-hmm. carry that with them. Mm-hmm. I see the things you're doing, the way you're going about your life. You started with the right principles. And mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things that, that attracted me to you was your own personal credibility and communication skills. Excellent. So Thank we you. carry that with us. Right. And if I can share anything, that's what I would share. Got it. Serve others. Always do the right thing. You hear me saying that all the time. People, mm. what, do you, what does he mean by that? Always do the right thing. That sounds simple and easy. It's not. Right. I often tell younger people, you're going to have two big challenges. One is figuring out the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Life gets complicated. Sometimes that's really difficult. Mm-hmm. Right. And you finally figure it out and go, oh, that's the hardest thing to do. Particularly when it's inconvenient. Right. To do it. mm-hmm. And now you're telling me, do the hardest thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Every time. Wow. Wow. You know why? You'll never go wrong, right? Exactly. Maybe force you to work harder, but you'll always come out at the right end of things. Uh-huh. So, yeah. How do you somehow teach that and get young people in particular to embrace that? I think that is maybe the only legacy worth pursuing. Okay. Okay. The, the mic drop at the end of the show. One more time. How can people get in contact with you, organization, company, if they need any uh, communications uh, services? Right. So Google us, Miller Communications or 414-390-5500 and you will get a call back guaranteed. No computer. Excellent. <laughs> you hear that? No automated no. system. Thank you for calling. No, you're going to get a live person, Amen. which is awesome. So, folks, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. Thank you so much for listening and for your viewership on today. Remember to like, share, and subscribe to the Communication Guru Podcast, the Communication Guru Podcast, and the Communication Guru Podcast. Also be on the lookout for Morning Timspirations, which are inspirational words to put some wind behind your sails on a day-to-day basis because every once in a while we all need an attaboy or at a girl. And there's a scripture in the Bible that says that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. So somebody saying something to you at the right time in the right place can be the difference that you need in that particular day. You can find the Morning Timspirations on Facebook, LinkedIn, and also on Instagram. And finally, if you have a communica- communications issue that you need some assistance with, you can reach out to Miller Communications or, you know, Tim McMurray International. You can find me on LinkedIn under Tim McMurtry. You can DM me or you can go to Instagram. You can find me at Mr. Timspiration, at Mr. Timspiration. And you also can dip into the Communication Guru Podcast. So until next time, you do your thing, do it with purpose and conviction, 
and blessing and increase to you. Bam.